socio-political risks represent another major risk for the continent. Inflation is often a conduit for social frustration and political risk was already elevated after the pandemic. If this is compounded by an inflationary shock that directly impacts the household shopping basket, political risk will go up another notch. Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in to Trade Talk, the podcast designed to help you get your business growing with confidence. In this series, we tackle different aspects of economic activity through a mix of expert analysis and views from business leaders. Africa is a vast, diverse region that defies generalizations. The continent offers abundant opportunities for businesses, provided they are properly versed in the local risks, from the aspects of the health crisis and the war in Ukraine to surging commodity prices, high growth sectors and tips for companies operating in the region, we take a look at some of the current challenges and issues with three COFAS experts. Cécile Payard, CEO Mediterranean and Africa Region. Bonjour Ingrid. Hello Ingrid. And the economists Dominique Frutcher. Bonjour. Hello Ingrid. And Aroni Chaudhuri. Bonjour Ingrid. Hello Ingrid. Hello everyone. We're really glad to have you here today. So Africa is a huge continent and as a result, it's not always easy to get a handle on the true state of affairs. That being said, um, could you give us an overview of the situation in Africa and particularly in terms of how things unfolded during the health crisis? COVID had a relatively mild health impact for several reasons. First, Africa has a relatively youthful population, and we know now that being young offers protection against COVID by reducing the severity of the disease. Second, people mostly live in rural zones, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, and there are a few African megacities, besides perhaps Cairo and Lagos. Third, as soon as the pandemic was announced in 2020, Borders between countries and with the rest of the world were closed down very quickly. Fourth, African countries have faced epidemics before, including AIDS, particularly in southern Africa, Ebola in central and western Africa, as well as tuberculosis. So that's a first assessment, and specifically from a health perspective. Obviously, the crisis had an economic impact too, of course. Aroni, could you talk a little bit about that, please? We've seen three types of significant impacts. African economies were hit by a domestic shock to both supply and demand, as travel restrictions and other pandemic countermeasures caused activity to grind to a halt. Shops and factories were shut and personal travel was restricted, which had a significant impact in Africa given the importance of agriculture. This was coupled with an external demand shock as key markets for African exports entered recession or cooled. Tourism, which many African countries depend on, also experienced a downturn. These issues were further compounded by transport disruptions and a collapse in commodity prices, particularly during the first wave of the pandemic, bearing in mind that many African countries are net exporters. Another major consequence was the surge in debt, while many African countries received assistance from international organizations such as the IMF, 
The African Development Bank and the World Bank debt levels nevertheless soared due to the pandemic. Several countries that were already struggling with unsustainable debt positions saw their situations worsen. Zambia, for instance, defaulted on a debt repayment in 2020. Cecile, have you seen an increase in the risk of corporate defaults in the wake of the health crisis? From our perspective, we have not observed an increase in defaults. In fact, loss ratios did not go over 25% in 2021, whereas usually they are in a range of 45% to 55%. That said, I agree with everything that my colleagues have said. The situation in Africa Africa is extremely diverse, as are all the continent's different economies. Situations for diversified economies, such as Morocco and South Africa, differ from those of transition economies, like Cameroon and Senegal, and also from oil exporters, such as Algeria. It's also worth noting that we've taken a sustainable approach to building our activity in Africa. In terms of our credit risk business, our portfolios have proven extremely resilient, we believe because they are more exposed to activities that are considered as essential and that were accordingly less affected by the shutdown that hit the entire world, including Africa. And uh, did African countries set up assistance plans that uh, could help to prevent the defaults? So, the government's support plans were mainly seen in Europe, in the most developed countries. But in terms of government actions, many mutual assistance programs and joint initiatives were organized to keep people safe and also to deliver vaccines, since just 1% of vaccines are manufactured on the continent. In short, there were not many financial support plans but plenty of joint initiatives. Now, with the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, the African economy is experiencing a, a new shock. Um, at first glance, of course, African countries might seem to have a really minimal trade dependence on these two nations overall, um, but I'm sure that there are consequences. So can we already have an estimation um, of what the fallout for Africa might be? Um, Aroni? Russia and Ukraine together account for less than 4% of the continent's imports and 1% of exports, so Africa's direct trade reliance on them is extremely low. Russia is still an important partner to some countries, particularly as a supplier of wheat, commodities and weapons. But Africa deals primarily with Europe, the United States, China, India, and the United Arab Emirates, which combined account for about 65% of total imports and total exports. Dominique, do you have any insight to add to this? While direct trade links between Africa and Russia-Ukraine are not very extensive, Ukraine and Russia nevertheless play an important role in Africa's imports of certain agricultural products, including wheat, barley, maize, sunflower oil and fertilizers. The relatively heavy reliance on these products is linked to consumer habits and to the fact that the populations of these countries are relatively more urban than those elsewhere on the continent. 
We are also seeing spillover effects from higher grain and fertilizer prices to substitution products. In addition, the price of livestock feed has gone up, which has forced farmers to shrink their herds and send more animals to slaughter, pushing meat prices down. Another important trend is that international freight has become more expensive, as energy prices, like those of agricultural products, have exploded. Higher energy prices also feed into the cost of domestic transport, which is often critical to enabling farmers in rural areas to get their products to city markets. Overall then, the direct impact has been fairly small, except in a few instances. But the indirect impact has been much stronger and transmitted through multiple channels. Cecile, you said that there were very few defaults despite COVID. After what we have just heard, do you think that corporate failures could increase now? I would propose a two-part reply. First, as my colleagues pointed out, Africa has a moderate exposure to Russia and Ukraine. So what we are seeing right now are a few isolated defaults directly connected with the war. These involve Russian and Ukrainian counterparties that are unable to honor their commitments, either owing to sanctions in the case of those in Russia or because of the war in the case of those in Ukraine. However, we have not yet witnessed a deep and lasting deterioration in the reliability of trade relations. It is clear, however, and this is part two of my response, that the effects of the war could impact some African countries to a greater or lesser degree and disrupt the broad economic and social balances which remain fragile in some cases. Aroni, looking to the longer term, can we try to project the risks that inflation could create specifically for Africa? If inflationary pressures continue to build and are not contained, they will hold growth back. I'm thinking especially about pressure on food and energy products, that is, essential products for households. An increase in these prices will inevitably push down consumption by households, who will have fewer resources to put towards the rest of their spending. Central banks will probably have to hike policy rates in an effort to quell this inflation. In fact, the central banks of Egypt, South Africa and Mozambique already raised their rates recently. When policy rates go up, access to credit is restricted, which affects investment. More globally, the war is going to cause the world economy to slow. This will create a new external demand shock because Africa depends on its export markets. Socio-political risks represent another major risk for the continent. Inflation is often a conduit for social frustration and political risk was already elevated after the pandemic, with frustration building up over travel restrictions and the various countermeasures. If this is compounded by an inflationary shock that directly impacts the household shopping basket, Political risk will go up another notch. We are already seeing the tangible consequences of this. So in the first part of this session, we spoke extensively about the risks um, to Africa and the impact of the current crisis. Now um, let's turn to talk uh, about Africa's strength 
and the advantages that might be attractive for local companies today. In years past, Africa has seen a sharp decline in poverty and made huge strides in terms of education and integrating women into the workforce. Obviously, with first the COVID crisis and now the Russia-Ukraine crisis, which is stoking inflationary pressures, progress has stalled and some ground has even been lost. But it's important to note that Africa has a large population and is experiencing rapid population growth. This is clearly a significant strength for these economies and a major draw for the continent's trade partners. Another key factor in Africa is the importance of energy and commodities, of course. Many countries are producers. So might higher prices um, end up creating a windfall for some African nations? It's true that the Russia-Ukraine war is having some positive effects, notably via hydrocarbons. Only a handful of African countries are net energy exporters, including Algeria, Libya, Congo, Angola, Chad, Niger and Ghana. They are set to benefit from higher energy prices. But you also have to consider that most African countries are net importers and they're going to suffer. Another segment that may benefit countries is agricultural exports. African countries obviously import many agricultural products, but they export a decent share as well. The problem is that the prices of most of these agricultural export products have increased weekly and definitely not by as much as the prices of products that need to be imported. I'm thinking, for example, of cacao, bananas and cashews. Their prices have ticked upwards, but not nearly enough to offset the additional bill due to hydrocarbon imports. Africa also has plentiful mineral resources. What are we seeing right now in this segment, Arani? Countries with mineral resources are probably even better positioned for several reasons. Some metals and minerals such as nickel, palladium and aluminium have seen big price jumps because of the war, but it's important to remember that most mineral commodity prices were already high even before the outbreak of the conflict owing to strong global demand and supply chain constraints. Countries such as the Democratic Republic of Congo, Zambia and South Africa, which have extensive mineral resources, are set to benefit from high prices, which will underpin their growth. Perhaps even more importantly in the current setting, this situation could act as a kind of buffer against inflationary pressures in the sense that income from exporting these commodities could be redistributed in the economy as subsidies to contain inflationary pressures. I would add a note of caution about windfall effects. While it's true that these opportunities can generate growth momentum, it is important to pay attention to the associated risks. If an economy focuses on extractive industries, it becomes more vulnerable to external shocks. We saw this during the pandemic. If external demand for these products collapses, the economy will be severely affected. 
The pace of economic diversification also slows because investments and the economy are being steered to concentrate on one specific sector, leaving other industries sidelined. There may also be problems linked to security and smuggling, while income redistribution might be affected by corruption. So, to summarize, windfall effects need to be accompanied by governance arrangements to redistribute wealth to key sectors such as infrastructure, education or health, which will make it possible to develop the economy. Dominique, Aroni, you both are African specialists. Um, which sectors would you say have the most potential now? Besides the additional investments that may be generated by higher mineral and hydrocarbon prices, there are other sectors that may be looking for investments on the continent. Transport infrastructure is one. Often such infrastructure is linked to mining and resource development, since minerals have to be transported from the interior to the coast. Textiles and clothing might also be a growth factor, as some countries seek to process locally produced cotton which is a major product for economies, especially in Western Africa. There is also agri-food, because of course, if possible, economies should endeavour to process locally produced agricultural products. Finally, there is a significant lack of fertilizers and plastics on the continent. There is no shortage of hydrocarbons, so it would make sense for them to be locally developed and processed. Anything to add, Aroni, maybe? Um, I would just add to the list a sector that's already benefiting and will continue to benefit from public money, namely renewable energy. This is a sector that is still fairly small in Africa, but the development potential in hydro and solar power is immense. Cecile, taking the perspective of a business leader, um, what advice would you give to companies that have local bases or that operate on the continent? First, I would say that we are currently going through a short, rather complicated period during which companies must ensure that they are complying with local rules and regulations. It would make sense to try to avoid exposure to potential sanctions. Secondly, I would seek to ensure the company's financial stability, not just at a given moment in time, but also projecting ahead. With this in mind, there are surely some useful steps that can be taken in terms of financing. Companies could perhaps adjust their financing, save time, cash positions need to be monitored very carefully and the balance sheet should be checked to make sure it is robust. We believe firmly in risk management, so I would say that this aspect needs to be strengthened internally and or in partnership with insurers, tighten up communication, get information and secure debt collection capabilities if need be. Some companies may find themselves stuck in the middle with defined price control contracts with customers on the one side, but suppliers putting up prices on the other. You have to be aware of this risk and avoid being caught in these situations or work on these issues if they are already happening. So you might think about renegotiations or potentially price increases. A last point is supply. Inventory management will be critical to securing business. Diversifying customer and supplier portfolios and lowering concentration or reliance on one party in particular. 
Many thanks to our guests for their advices, um, uh, which we hope will help you to understand the African market better in the light of current challenges. For Cofas, that was Ingrid Lebuzon, journalist. Please tune in to our next podcast. And in the meantime, head over to cofas.com for all of Cofas's countries and sectors risk analysis. 